Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kirishanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tivanu La'asok V'Divrei Torah Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torah Teka V'Finu Ufiamka Beit Yisrael V'Nieh Anachnu V'Zetzeinu V'Zetzei Amka Beit Yisrael Kulanu Yodea Shemeka V'Londei Torah Teka V'Shma Baruch Ata Adonai Hamla Metorah Le'Amo Yisrael May be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleague to, st- to rejoice over me. And may not, may I not say regarding something which is to me, that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore, that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. <laughs> may he All be right. feeding us. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, because we are quickly headed into the three weeks. So just a heads up to everyone. Motzi Shabbat will be the beginning of Yud Zayin Betamuz, the 17th of Tammuz, the first of the fast days from sunrise or just a little bit before to sunset. So uh, prepare yourselves, get ready for that. Um, and then the concluding fast, will be a few weeks after that, uh, to be precise, 22 days later, get you some of that, for Tisha B'Av, and that'll be the full 24-hour fast. So uh, get ready for that as well. So if you need uh, all kinds of resources, obviously Chabad is amazing on that. And uh, Rabbi Trugman is now on SoundCloud. What's wrong with this man? Yeah, I know. He's been absolutely ridiculous. He's on Instagram uh, as well. So I'm like, Rabbi, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, just diversifying a little bit. And I'm like, okay. Um, so, yeah, Baruch Hashem. So if you need any of that, we got the hookup. Holla if you hear us. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, um, We're in Parsha Balach. And Shlomo uh, has something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Uh, yes, it's thir- Rumination 38 this week. Um, the other thing I mulled over was he has an additional um, section just for uh, Bain Hamid Serene Between the Troubles, which yes. I can include in this study. Yeah, that'd be nice. Just a couple of pointers, too, for people to be mindful of a few notes. Yeah, because... I mean, this is a sad time that we're about to enter into, and we don't do anything pleasurable. And as Emmett mentioned, no music, which I was busily getting my fix today. <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> do it yeah. now while you can. I know. That's 21 days, folks. So get yourself spiritually prepared. 
suit yeah. up and strap in, man. It's going to be a flip and burn. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's what makes this rumination so poignant for this time. Why would anyone choose to be cursed? That one, that one, when I first read that, I had to stop and think for a moment. I had to take it in. You know, what, is, what does it mean? Why, why would someone choose to be cursed? Hmm. Because if Hashem curses you, what recourse do you have? Other than Anna Bekoach, right? a deeply Kabbalistic prayer all on its own. Because each line of that prayer is repeated seven times. Um, so that's one of the first things that comes to mind. Because we beg him. You know, we come to him with our supplication. You know, that he would have mercy on us. Because I was listening to Mendel Kesson today. And the one thing he always brings up is Lashon Hara. Always. Hmm. There is so much of it in the world. It's, it's in Eretz Yisrael, and this is a big thing. It is huge because this is what's preventing Mashiach from coming. It prevents him from being seen in us when we engage in this most dreadful of sins. Because we bring a lot of curses and judgment unnecessarily upon ourselves and exile. It, it really is up to us in the, in the Galu. The length of the Galu is really dependent on us. Our responsiveness to Hashem's uh, pleading for us to return. Because we see what's going on in the world what politicians are doing in every single country, not just here. I mean, of course, Israel is always the focal point. Why? Because that's where blessing and Kedusha comes to the nations through. And if we have some of the things going on in Eretz Israel, the Knesset, there's, there's three political parties in control of the Knesset, and one of them is the Islamic Brotherhood. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> That's crazy. It, it really is. You know, and, you know, it says in the Psalms that, you know, men take counsel, but Hashem laughs. Do you know that's the uh, analogy for this week's story portion? That Balak and Bilam were taking counsel with each other and Hashem was laughing. Because everything goes back to Levon. Yep. Because when we were in his house, he wanted us to be cursed. But he ended up blessing us. And it goes all the way back to when Eliezer came seeking a bride for Yitzhak. And the whole family blessed her and said, hey, Rivka, may you have myriads and thousands of people. And that's what we as Jews grew into. So now... All the way down to Billum, it's like, no, we want to we want to take that blessing away. We want to curse everybody. And Hashem was like, remember the one time 
like Levon was like, yeah, I'm going to bless the, the Jews. So we're going to do that again. So even though you want to keep trying to do all these curse tactics, I'm going to keep making you bless them just like you did before. You're going to have to honor your word. Because whether you look at it as Belam is the grandson of Levon or as the Gilgul of Levon, either way, or, you know, yeah, like he is Levon, basically, <laughs> depending on which commentary you go with. And so it was just this whole thing about Hashem was laughing at, like, the, the way they would go back and forth. Like, Balak is like, I hired you. You're supposed to curse the people. And Belam's like, well, I tried, but I can't. You know, and it's like, well, I can only bless. So, I mean, it's just a it's a neat little verse. And um, Shavile Pincus was the one who did a beautiful six page uh, write up on it. So it's amazing. But to your point. Yeah, it's. What's well, interesting, if we go back to Genesis 12, three, we have the word Kalal. And it is on the Katal stem. Verbal root. Hmm. I was with my Hubrusa today, and we were getting into Hebrew verbs. Mazalto. Um, what you got? So, Kalel is you have the Kamats on the Kuf. And, and we're talking an, about the word for curse, right? Yes. And it's an active voice verb, causative causative verb okay meaning that there's a cause and effect if you do this there will be an effect if you curse i will curse this is a shem speaking saying if you do this if someone else does this to you meaning this word has multiple meat this verb has many connotations a couple of them are if some they so much as belittle make fun of you deride you denigrate you the list continues you know i will do those things to them so we really this is why there's so much Lashon Hara in the world, because this warning is being ignored. No, no one in their right mind would want to be cursed by Hashem, but because there's no one that seeks after God, because Hashem tries the hearts of men to see if there are any that seek after him. Shaul quotes this in, in his letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's none good. There's none righteous. There's no one that seeks after him. Which is a sad state of affairs, you know, and we see this in our day. Absolutely. You know, then Shaul warns Timothy in his second letter, third chapter, that know this, that in the Akarit Yamin, you know, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Covetous, boastful, proud, uh, desecrators, unthankful, unholy, and so forth. That is so prevalent today, you know. I mean, look at our country right now. And it's unfortunate that Israel is taking, mimicking us when they shouldn't be. It's like some golden calf stuff. 
Yeah, it's, it's secretism, and Hashem despises secretism. How can Eretz Yisrael bring Kedusha down from the heavenlies into this physical world that we occupy, which is their responsibility that Hashem has tasked them with? Because he says in Exodus 19, you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a priesthood to me, a peculiar treasure, segula. Right. You know, how can they be these things if they continue doing Lashon Hara? You know, and our master says, by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Right. Kind of giving a bit of a drosh on the Talmudic dictum. Don't judge a man unless you've walked in his shoes. So, yeah, it's, well, why would anyone be cursed, you know? Yeah, a couple of things I think about, um, just to the point of the Lashon Hara, if you look at Colossians 3, this is all about the new man. And it's funny because you and I were talking before the podcast started about uh, the new man and the new mind. But in uh, verses 5 through 8, it says, put to death the components of your earthly nature. So your animalistic drives. So you got to like bring those into a place of death. Now, when you think of death, don't think of it as like, take it out back and just shoot it. <laughs> like, that's not what that means. It means literally bring it Caesar to the- <laughs> Yeah, they're like, shoot him off with his head, you know. Like, no, uh, this is the, the understanding of bringing your Corbin, bringing your animal to the altar, to the to the Mizbeach, which is an acronym, by the way. But we'll get in. That's another Josh for another time. But anyway, so you bring it to that place and you subjugate those drives to purposes of Torah, which is so cool because it's like if you're hungry, Hashem is like, eat this. You know, he gives us all these things to eat, you know. It's like, oh, you want to be a very, very violent and active person? Well, why don't you check out kosher slaughtering? You know, kind of thing. You can you can do that if you want to, you know. So anyway, the, the list goes on. But it says, put that to death. Put, the, put those drives in the place that they need to go. Sexual immorality, which is cool because Torah tells us how we're to channel our sexual drives, you know, right? You have the whole confines of how you're supposed to do that. Impurity. So we have the laws of purity and and ritual purity that we do on a constant basis. We talked about one of them hand washing, you know, so this is cool. So to counteract all these things, you find them in Torah, which is so amazing because this basically means in summary, the new man is the man of Torah. Because it Torah literally gives you the opposite, the counterbalance of this, the Moshe to the proverbial Belam. Because we know Belam and Moshe are neck and neck. It's just like Belam is said to he could have been greater, you know, had he channeled his Yetzirah, but he didn't. Anyway, so lust, evil desires, greed, 
which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Avodazera is greed. Okay. Shaul just uh, coming in hot. Okay. <laughs> because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, which I want to just shout out our brother Yosef Haemet. If you go back on his page, he did a beautiful uh, teaching a couple of Shabbats ago on Parsha Korak about the incense slowing down the angel of death, slowing down the plague, not stopping it, because the only way to stop it is to have the incense with Teshuvah. And so this beautiful thing here about the wrath of God is coming because there's been incense brought, and that was namely the offering of the Mashiach. So that was a beautiful drop to connect to this point, because at some point, the shoe does drop. You know, if we if, if we don't make Teshuvah like we're supposed to, it, it's going to happen. It's going to occur. So, and then this, it says, when you lived among them, you also used to walk in these ways. Now you must put aside all such things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. You know, Lashon Hara is totally in that. And it's amazing that Lashon Hara can actually encapsulate all of those things. You know, so that and then the other thing uh, I thought of was Galatians 3 verses 10 through 14. And I just want to summarize this. But basically, when it comes to how we do the Torah, the redemption from the curse of the Torah is poignant in this case, because it says that uh, verse 13, Mashiach liberated us from the Torah's curse, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And that word for hanging goes all the way back to the dream that was interpreted by Yosef of the chief baker in Paro's palace. He says, you'll be hanged. You know, so you'll be restored to your position, but you're going to be hanged, you know, this whole kind of thing. And so, the and, and by the way, it's the same word that's used for what happened to Haman and his 10 sons. They were hanged on a tree. So the whole implications here is that why would anyone choose to be cursed? You literally are rejecting the offering. You're rejecting the altar. You're rejecting the Torah. You're rejecting newness. So you love exile. You love Lashon Hara. And you love death, famine, and curses in the world. The bombings. The, the horrible sexual crimes that take place. All of the corrupting of truth that is going on in the world. You love that kind of stuff when you choose to walk in curses. So you may not feel that way, but just like you said, what it's a causative, a causative verb, right? Active the voice word causative. is active. So because of your actions, you're causing a reaction. And this is why it's so amazing when we understand about what it truly means to be believers. We don't have to go around yelling and screaming it and wearing t-shirts and making bumper stickers because why actions are going to cause reactions so 
if you walk it, you don't have to necessarily talk it because talking is going to happen from the walking that's going on. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. exactly. Yeah, we were touching on that last week. You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're walking out the commandments and all the words that come out of your mouth are Torah, then yeah. you really have nothing to worry about. You know, Hashem's going to be with you. He's going to give strength, Bezran Hashem, to your efforts. Um, yeah. And isn't that amazing, too, because it brings such a level of stability and security where it's so much to to the fact that, unfortunately, this happens. Some people feel insecure about their faith because of how steadfast you are. You know, so it's like, well, I believe in God, but I'm not doing nearly as much as you are. So therefore, am I wrong or you're just being too much? You're being too extra, as they say in the hood. <laughs> you know, and so yeah, it's see, just that's, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. You shouldn't compare yourself to someone else. Yeah, because what did we that, say last week? That only encourages insecurity. That only encourages that you won't approach Hashem. You won't come to him in your time of need. Yeah. You know, and it's not, it, you know, the time of need is not just, okay, I stumbled, I sinned. You know, now I got to go get asked for forgiveness. I got to do teshuva. No, it's when things are hunky-dory and you're walking with him, you're studying Torah, you know, and you... You know, there are those times we don't necessarily feel his presence. Right. Because those are the times he's testing us to see whether or not we're going to walk it. There you go. See, and the teacher is always silent during a test. Oh, I just had a flashback to school. It was like, all right, pop quiz. <laughs> I know I have too many of those, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. When you were talking about what you were talking about, I went to Avodah Zero 3B. Come on. And, and Rabbi Levy said, whoever desists from words of Torah and engages instead in words of idle chatter. Note that. Idle chatter. Mm, Colossians 3 stuff. <laughs> they will feed him long burning Rosenwood coals. As it says, those who uproot moist words, what is the Torah likened to? Mm, a tree. Mayim Kaim. The tree that's planted by the, the living oh, waters, the stream. Yeah. And bears its fruit in its season. Yeah. Come on. On account of engaging in chatter. The root of Rosen coals will ultimately be their reward. Is there and a footnote on that? Yeah. The explanation takes the term Mila uh, Owach as a cognate to the term Le Kelu Kaya, moisture. Since moisture represents vitality and spirit, the term moist words is understood as an allusion to the Torah, the source of all life. Our translation reflects the homiletical interpretation of the verse according to Rashi's preferred approach. Alternatively, Rashi explains the term meluach as meaning 
the words that were written on the tablets, the Lucos. Meluach, like from the Luak, from the tablet. It's a derivative of Lucos. Oh, my word. Wow. It's a synonym. Yeah. A reference to the Torah, which was given in two tablets. Shnei Lukot, Habrit. The simple meaning of the verse is quite different. The verse appears in a passage describing the degradation of men whose base characters may, uh, made them unwelcome in towns. See Ibid verse uh, 5. These men therefore foraged for meals in the wilderness. They would scrape moss that grows next to trees and rosen roots would be their food. Tosifos. Aha. Uh -huh. So you become like a, de a desert forager, basically. You the cut off other your own thing food is about the, this point, this speaks to on a deeper level to Lashon Hara, because it's like a fire. Mm -hmm. If you think it's gone out, it's still burning like an ember within the root. Within the root. Oh, like a little play on words here. We got a little word play going on. Because if you think you've conquered your Yetzirahara, it always comes back in a different way. Camouflage in itself. Uh, this is akin to Yaakov wrestling with the Malak, who, yeah. not, who said, my name is hidden. And did you know that corresponds to Tractate Sukkah 52 that talks about the seven names of the Yetzirah that, uh, by the way, correspond to the seven days of the week? Because the Yetzirah has a new face every day. It also changes its name. Yes. So, yeah, so when you think you got it, it's like, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, the Gemara cites a different explanation <laughs> that is also based on the verse cited in the Gemara above. Uh, Rachel Akish said, whoever involves himself in Torah study at night, this is huge right here. Come on. The Holy One, blessed is he, endows him with charm during the day. As it says, in the day, Hashem commands his kindness. And in the night, his song was with me. The verse is expounded as follows. What is the reason that in the day, Hashem will command his charm to fall upon a particular person? Because in the night, his song of Torah was with me. You're still in 3B? Yeah, 3B4, in case you're there. 3B4. Let's see, note 45, the term Sirah song is used to describe the Torah in the verse uh, in Devarim 3119. And now write for yourselves this song, Mahaharsa. It is also noteworthy that Rashi, uh, Lakish's mentor, 
Rav Yochanan held that the song of Torah exists only at night. See Vayikur Rabbah 19.1. Goodness. Song in the night, just like the Levites, that's their job while the evening lamb is burning. That's I mean, you know, you know what's interesting about that, Gemara, is that what is the first offering of the day? The Tami. No, no, the very first offering. When does the Hebrew day start? Yeah, at night. In the evening. So, so the it, evening it's, it's the uh, RV offering, the Ma'arif, the evening offering. That's the yeah. first offering of the day in the Hebrew day. Oh, I get what you're doing because the end of the day is the final lamb. So as we're going into the night, now we have the upkeep of the altar going on. Yeah. Making sure the fire doesn't go out. Exactly. And what does Shaul say? Don't quench the spirit. Oh, my goodness. Don't quench the song of Torah. The first offering of the night, the first offering of the day. And the evening and the morning were such and such day. Right. So the the Ma'ariv offering is really the first offering of the day. But during the night, they clean off the altar for the following day's offering. Why? Because the ashes of the previous day's service is not applicable. Whatever, yeah. yeah, whatever merits you have acquired for the previous day, they're recorded in heaven. Wow. So now you start anew. And it begins again with Ma'arif, Sakharit, and Minka. There was a source that said the evening lamb atones for impure thoughts as it burns throughout the night. I'm trying to see if I can find it, but... Yeah, Obadiah Yosef on uh, Halakha Yunit, I've been reading the Halakha about uh, Natila Yadayim, and he points out that if you don't do the Natila Yadayim in the morning, that the evil spirits that are on these things remain and any food you consume becomes yeah. to, to make contaminated with the evil spirit. But see, then you have this that I just read this Gemara. Right. right. So if you have Torah in your head during the night, what, you know, that's the other thing, psychologically speaking, the last thing that your mind that you were active on thinking about, before retiring is the first thing you're going to be thinking about when you wake up. Mm. That that's a proven psychological fact. So if Torah, if you're engaged in Torah study before you go to bed, that's the first thing you're going to be thinking about when you get up. You know, then you just might have a big time clash of Pokemon. Okay. I got to bring this into. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Bring it down into Malkut, you know. <laughs> Get you some. You know, solidify it, you know. 
Um, it's like you really want to be in touch with the word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our life, after all, is in the Torah. They are words of life, you know. You know, like Yeshua says, I come to bring that you might have life and have it more abundant. And he's not talking about, you know, financial blessings, although those are nice. But I think, you know, we become too dependent on them at times. But in fact, the real blessings are the spiritual blessings. Closest, yeah. to, closest to Hashem, you know, a uh, uh, Devi Kut. You know, deepening our attachment to him, deepening our dependence on him. You know, because, you know, that's where our shalom really comes from. It's when we're in closeness with him. Especially now, you know, the way the world, this world is, you know, because this reality is not the one that is supposed to be. You know, and when we engage in words of Torah, we bring about the world to come. Because it is the world to come. You know, you know, like uh, Peter says, we are lively stones fit together mm -hmm. you know the the spiritual temple and not to over spiritualize it because we still need a physical temple come on because how on. else are how else is the shekinah going to come down again yep and the physical edifice is just the it's kind of like a lightning rod so to speak in the spiritual realms to connect us you know like because the the temple is in its physical form the shekinah can dwell among us like the original intent have the mishkan in the camp so that hashem can dwell within us kind of thing yeah it's like the orkayim says in parashah Midbar, all things are subordinate to the shekinah because we're in a place that is with him right um and to that point, because uh, I know we're going to keep going with the rumination, uh, just a quick Basham Tov that Rabbi brought down, uh, Rabbi Chugman, that is, he was saying that um, there's a concept called Ain Mazal Yisrael, like there is no Mazal for Israel. And the Basham Tov said, don't read it, there isn't a Mazal for Israel, read it Ain, as in Ain Sof is the mazel for Yisrael, which means without end. We have an endless mazel. And this is why Bilam could not find an opportunity to curse us. Oh, boy. And guess how we tap into the infinite mazel? Torah and mitzvot continuously being connected to Hashem. So like you're saying, keeping our words and our thoughts fixed and focused upon him. Oh, it sounds like Hebrews. Fix and focus your eyes upon the author, perfecter, finisher of your faith, right? <laughs> you know, like you make that your constant striving, you end up with this infinite mazal that's like, it's off the scales. And he literally finished the shirim, the, the teaching, the class, the shur, uh, that he said, and when we do this, we will be kept safe.
from the Beelums of the world? Yeah, I mean, ultimately speaking, um, Belam and Balak are have the root in Amalek. Yeah, because their names share the same letters as Amalek. That's our resolve. So we, because Amalek <laughs> has an extreme that he's he's chief among the haters of the Jewish people, the most anti-Semitic as you can get. Yeah, apparently he uses the 50th level of impurity known as mockery. Yeah, to try and draw Israel away. And now look what you have going on in the Knesset in Israel right now. You have this that very thing. So we've reached the 50th level of impurity. Which, if we go back to our sources, what does this say? We're unredeemable at that point. But Mashiach. We're literally at a place where you cannot have a human redeemer show up <laughs> to bring us out. Yeah, what good would it do? I mean, even in the first century in Yeshua's day, you know, Israel was still in exile. I mean, look how he reads Isaiah 61. You know, the spirit of Hashem is upon me. Right, yep. wanted yep. me to bring good tidings to the poor, to release the captives, and so forth. He's speaking to those in exile, right there in that synagogue, that shul in Capernaum. Mm. You know, but then, man, he says, "In your hearing, this is happening right now." Matthew eleven fifteen. That's Luke uh, four sixteen. Oh, there. This is connecting it to different verses. Okay, but yeah, because that was when he was reading the Haftarah. Yeah. Which you only give that reading to a very, very, as I like to say, prestigious person, prestigious person in the shul. <laughs> oh yeah true Zadik yeah oh what that escalated quickly so a, a testament to well, think about this Nachman, righteousness uh, <laughs> is reading from the after oh and we are tasked to bring strength to the kingdom of holiness Likutim Moran volume 1 uh, verse 5 Come on, look at source it out. Come on. Wow. It's yeah. It, but getting into the, the first paragraph of this rumination, you know, curses do not alight without a cause. Proverbs 26, 2. Somebody just said that's a causative word anyway. So <laughs> oh, that'd be me, shameless plug. <laughs> Uh, so why would anyone in their right mind choose to receive a curse Hashem has made it very clear the source of blessings and curses and so I mean come on what drives men to continually choose 
the curses. Self-importance, pride, arrogance, mm. boastfulness. Paul went over that list in 2 Timothy 3. Yeah. Which is all Yetzirah. Yeah, they're, they're too busy listening to Yetzirah. And sorry to say, but so is the church. Yep. Well, that is the Sar of Esav, aka Edom, the the angelic prince that governs the body of people who are in that klipa. That's their ministering angel, is the Etzahara. So it makes sense. Sad, but that's what it is. The Samic Mem, by the way, that's that's who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, are the two letters and the tablets when we originally were supposed to get them, they floated. The Sapphire tablets. So if you make a Samic and you make a Mem and you engrave it, so there's a centerpiece that looks like a circle that should fall out, right? But it was suspended miraculously in the middle of the tablets. So the teaching is that is the suspension of the Samic Mem because there were Samics and Mems in the first set of tablets that were in there. And because of that miraculous suspension, it says this suspended the Yatsahara and this also suspended the exiles. So we were no longer subject to death. We were no longer subject to exile and we were no longer subject to our Yatsahara i.e. welcome back to the garden we've been expecting you that was the first set of tablets which got broken around i don't know a couple of days from now 17th of tammuz because we decided to listen to the atara make a golden calf so anyway the summit and the mem those are directly attached to exile which you just you shamo you crazy man you said this <laughs> at the beginning we cause our own exile because Lashon Hurrah, which is those two letters in the tablet that we broke. And you know what's interesting is that before all that happened, before the Egel Zahav happened, they were expecting Moshe to come down, get this, six hours earlier. Hmm. The six remembrances that you brought up last week. The six days of creation. Oh, come on. Uh, you know, I see this is what gets me every time. You know, I we just bring this on ourselves. You know, it's, you know, the, uh, uh, Abino Makenu, our father, our king. We have no king but you. We have sinned before you. Yes. Have mercy upon us. That's the first line in that prayer. The Abino Makenu in the, in the Mika prayer. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Asamnu prayer. We have become guilty. And for 22 stanzas in that prayer, you have a list of every single thing that has been done. 
corresponding to the 22 letters of the alphabet. You know what? Bezrat Hashem, Bli Nether. You know, because I every uh, year during the three weeks, I always think of a series to do for every single day. Just a little quick thing. It doesn't have to be very long. But I think that is some new prayer. Like that spoke to me when you said that, because there's 22 things to go over about our sins. And the whole thing with these three weeks is we do have 22 days to rectify things. You know, it actually, because we tip out of the ninth of Av into the 10th. This is why some of the morning restrictions actually apply into midday of the 10th of uh, the 10th of Av. So it technically is a 22 day period. But, you know, just to that point, like that really speaks to me, man. Like, wow, because we do like going through each of those, confessing our sins before Shem. Wow. Okay. You know, and those are the words of idle chatter. Really? I mean, I was just making that connection between that prayer and what uh, Rav Levy says in this Gemara. Wow. You know, it's... But then, you know, I would skip over to, see, 20. Oh, man, I, I just love this Gemara. <laughs> That's a beautiful Gemara. Skipping over there. Come yeah. on, man. This is so, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This, 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 this Gemara and Avodah Zarah 20b, 3. The Gemara cites another Baresa that, mandate, that mandates purity of thought. Dri deriving the mandate from the same verse as the previous uh, Baresa. The rabbis taught in the Baresa, the verse states, and you shall beware of any evil thing. This, this is what Raul says, whatever is pure, whatever is Philippians. Low. Yes. He's deriving that from this Gemara. This is how you understand Shaul. This is how rabbinic he is. You know, it's just crazy what the church has done with him. They think he started a new religion, that he was anti-Torah, but no. It's Peter's warning in his second letter. Those who are unlearned, who don't, who reject the words of the sages, they'll twist it, they'll mar it, they'll degrade it, where, where it becomes unrecognizable. This is why you don't even bother getting into a, a discussion with someone in that place. See, like you were saying before the podcast, you know, when, you know, your friends that your coworkers that you're encountering, Hashem puts them there in your path because they are ready. Wow. 
<laughs> That's no accident, you bet. It's no accident. Nothing happens by chance, especially in these days. Nothing. What blows my mind so much about this is when you're in the church, they always send you out on these wild goose chases to go disturb people's lives on a daily basis to say, hey, you know where you're going to go when you die? You know, are you going to go to heaven or hell? You know, get tracks and all this kind of stuff. Or who did you witness to today? And you, you got to go out of your way to find people. And if you haven't saved the soul, then I don't know what you're doing kind of thing, right? The crazy part is Hashem says, I need you to be a tree planted by the water. Dude, make your canopy so ridiculous to where when the sun comes out, people are like, I am hot. I need to get somewhere where there's shade. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, this beautiful tree. And Hashem's like, yeah, I'm showing it to you, you know? <laughs> You know, what's going to draw people to you? Man, that's insane. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. And so the rabbis go over this. The Baresa continues for here, Rabbi Pincus Ben Yair said, the study of Torah brings one to heedfulness. Oh, here we go. Heedfulness brings one to diligence. Diligence brings one to moral cleanliness. Cleanliness brings one to asceticism. Asceticism brings one to purity. Purity brings one to piety. Piety brings one to humility. Humility brings one to fear of sin. Fear of sin brings one to holiness. Holiness brings one to divine inspiration. Divine inspiration brings one to resurrection of the dead. You obtained that key. Yeshua obtained this key by going through those steps. That's why he rose, raised Lazarus. That's why he was able to do it. Because he said, Father, I am thankful you have heard me. This is what it also says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with Hashem. Wow. Right what here, you have spaces for that. Yeah, it's all right there. Net Duff. Oh my goodness. That's I love this Gemara, man. This this part right here. You know, I always come back to it. Why? Because the Ram call goes into detail in Mashilat Yeshurim, the final chapter. Chapter, get this, 26. Oh. The name yeah, of Hashem. No. Yeah, right. The combined Gematria of Aleph. That's insane. Avaya. And they continue, the Barasa continues, and piety is the greatest of them all. For it is stated, then you, God, spoke in a vision to your pious ones. Since God chooses to speak to those accomplished in piety, it is obviously they who are the greatest of his adherents. The Gemara cites one who disagrees. And this is at odds with the statement of Rav Yehoshua ben Levi. For Rav Yehoshua ben Levi said, Humility is the greatest of them all. For it is stated, 
Watch this now. The spirit of Hashem, the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring tidings of redemption to the humble ones. The pious ones is not stated, but the humble. That's in that half Torah reading that Yeshua read. The humble ones, you have thus learned that humility is the greatest of them all, i.e. of all the attributes enumerated by Rav Pincus Ben Yair. That, my friend, is outrageous truth at its finest. <laughs> you know, a thought I had before we uh, started tonight was I had a couple of thoughts, but the main thing, depending on how you want to say it, because if you say the Bible is not a Christian book, it's actually a Jewish book that could kind of get into semantics and things like that because of the way it's been arranged and organized. But more so the thoughts of, you know, the gospel accounts and the, uh, the letters of the Shliakim, the sent ones, that's Jewish writing. That is Jewish thought. It is not Christian thought. And to think of it that way, to think of it as the letter to the Colossians, like this is going to be Jewish commentary to a group of people that are trying to be Torah observant in the place known as Colossae. The letter to the Corinthians, this is a letter to a group of people who are being Torah observant in the place known as Corinth. You know, like, if we could even just get to kind of that basic understanding, as opposed to saying, oh, here's the book of Galatians, here's the book of Corinthians, you know, and it's like, no, it's a letter, and it's to a group of people who are being Torah observant. You know, and so now you have to understand there's a context, which means there's a source and just from a couple of sections that you've read from Avodah Zarah, you can already see where those connections come from. So, I mean, if we could just get there as a, the whole entire world, that'd be great. See, that's going to prompt me to read from this. <laughs> um, Is that Dessler? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... The, the it's first powerful. chapter of Meshilat Yesherim just sets the tone for the whole book. Because this is the Ram calls magnum opus. You know? He Man's just went duty, all out. No, notice, how, notice how the chapter is titled. Man's duty in his world. Oh, kind of like we are in charge of creating our reality. What did he tell Adam to do with the so garden? It. Tend it, take care of it. Mm -hmm. The Torah is likened to a garden. We're supposed to take care of it. 
And how do we take care of it by this dispensing it to those who are ready? What you were doing today. Wow. The bedrock of piety and the root of flawless divine service. That reminds me of what Hashem told Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Luke recounts Zachariah's service before Hashem, that he served him flawlessly, blameless. Wow. Lies the man's effort to clarify and verify what his duty is in his world. He must determine what he is aiming for and how to achieve this in all his labors throughout his lifetime. Remember what we were talking about last week? How the Torah is like a compass. It gives us that spiritual sense of direction. Without it, we're lost. Right. That's when I made the whole Jack Sparrow reference. <laughs> yeah, the juxtaposition. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Our sages of blessed memory have instructed us that man was created for the sole purpose of revealing the eternal. Yeah. And delighting in the splendor Tiferet of the divine presence. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I always stress. It's up to us. And this is what the Ram call is saying. It behooves us to live righteous, holy lives before him. Because then we do bring the Shekinah down, the divine presence. We do bring yeah. the Shiach. That's incredible because the whole thing about the Alam Haba is the soul having this bliss. Like, you can't even be in your physical form in order to understand this bliss that your soul is going to have in the Alam Haba Bezrat Hashem. So what you're talking about now is like literally being able to bring that down to a level that your physical flesh can handle it. Like, that's, that's what we're doing now. At one point, we're going to graduate and go to the next level where the flesh is going to be like, okay, I got it. All right, let's go. You know, hence why the resurrection, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, that's you could you could easily see just off of what you read, how Mashiach can arrive, how the Alam Haba can be actualized in the world as we know it today. Which is so crazy because that's one of the things that Rabbi brought down as well. He was saying that we have to get to a place of believing that there's still good in the world, that this is a good place. Like people can be good. You know, like, and he brought up a whole background on Rabbi Akiva, how he was able to see the good in the midst of all the evil that surrounded him to the point that he could go to his death with his skin being combed by metal irons singing the Shema. Which I don't know about you, but you would think, unless you're at a level, <laughs> that's the last thing you want to be saying while you're going to your death. Especially in a, in a manner of cruel torture, as the way he did. And it was just like, no. This is, this is like, I'm going to focus on Hashem right now. Yeah, talk about self nullification, man. That's it. Yeah, no awareness of his own egoism, his own existence. He probably got as close as maybe 
with the exception of the master, got as close as anyone could possibly get to the totality of the shim. I would think. What do you think about Stephen? Yeah, well, that's good too. Yeah. He saw heaven opened. And he even basically repeated the words of the master, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you know he couldn't utter that in a place of selfishness. He had to yes. be selfish. Exactly. A place of self-nullification. You know, that's Yeshua in the garden, you know. This... You know, as a man undergoing that kind of stress to sweat drops of blood, as Luke describes, and yet for him to say, you know, your will, not mine. Yehi Ratzon Milfaneka Adonai. Shema Yisrael. What did Rabbi Akiva learn from that example? He had to learn, have have learned that. Because he's only like a couple of decades, maybe, if not less. From the master, yeah. You know, (laughs) that that just amazes me. But yeah, it makes me realize where our Emunah could be if we just practice self-nullification. This is why Kabbalah is so important. This is why I'm so drawn to it. Why I'm like you like you were talking about earlier, you know, that spiritual place where people are are ready, you know. And that and just as a, a little testimony of myself is that, you know, in the present tense, you know, that's where I'm at right now after many years, decades even, of contemplating these things. You know, where is it all leading, you know? And for years, you know, you hear Christians saying, oh, we're going to go up in heaven, we're going to be, you know, raptured, you know? But yet, the Torah doesn't speak of that. Because Hashem descended on Sinai and gave the Torah. The descending Atzmus and the ascending Yesh. Physicality meeting the spiritual. Moshe ascending. This is what we need to be doing. This is another way for us to bring Mashiach. That he, if we nullify ourselves, then he'll be seen. Mm. And we lift him up. As Moshe lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if he be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. You experience that today with your co-workers. Yeah. I, I, dude, it's so... I can't even explain it. It's mind-boggling to me. It, it almost feels like Olam Haba stuff, you know, because you think about, okay, so there was a, a section of Zohar this week that said basically the, the Jews and the nations represent parts of a body. 
which we already know who that is, right? But you're many members of one body and this includes the nations. Are you serious? You know, right? So just thinking about that today, like with the people who I've been engaging with, you know, and this has been continuously increasing. So Baruch Hashem on that may be more, but it does. It, it literally feels like a piece of the temple is like coming down and like anchoring into the earth because there is this level of understanding of the dynamics of the relationship to where it's like, you know, we're not going to speak bad about each other. We're not on the same uh, wavelength as far as maybe religion or whatever, but we do understand human dignity. We do understand seeking truth, you know, and to a certain level, what righteousness looks like, you know, and the corruption that, we may or may not have had based off of how we were brought up in our families, but getting to a place where the light of Torah is imminent or preeminent, like it's the the top, you know, to where I'm nullified, that person's nullified. And we're both staring at this, this little fraction of the or a facet of the Torah. It, it's just like, it is such a amazing experience because it's like, I'm not, I'm not above you. You're not below me. You're not above me and I'm not below you. We're literally here like together and we're staring at the infinite light of Hashem. And like, bro, that is like, oh, that, that, that experience, that moment is ridiculous. You're just like, what? If yeah. that covers the earth, <laughs> of course Mashiach will be seen. You're not crazy. Like, this is, oh, I, I can't talk right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the aspect of our flawless divine service. You know, I things I meditate on, you know, but. Uh, yeah, and it's what drives men to continually choose the curses. Israel chose the curses that Hashem prescribed for disobedience. We can observe the effect of those curses when we read the history of Israel in the prophets, although ultimately we see their consolation and blessings in those same prophetic passages. Um, the seven half Torah that I read between the um, Shabbat Nakamu and Rosh Hashanah. Right. You know, we're coming up on that right yeah, after. Yeah, so see, those oh. are the first things I think about right after Bain Hamid Serene. What do you have? Shabbat Nakamu. You have Shabbat Kazon right after the ninth of Av. It always comes after the ninth of Av. But then what you get right after that? Shabbat Nakamu and the first of the seven half Torah readings from Yeshayahu. Okay. Comfort and consolation. And one of my favorite prayers is Mim Komka Malkenu. From your place, our king, you will appear and reign over us, for we await you. When will you reign in Zion? Soon, in our days. You know, flat out, that is my favorite prayer of the Shabbat service. 
That is the heart cry. That's that is our heart cry to be like him. And he will come and he will reign. Uh, Yashiahu 52 7. But then what did we find in this parsha this week? Out of the mouth of a pagan wizard comes the oldest blessing in the Siddur. Ma tovo ohaleka Yaakov, mishkenoteka Yisrael. Oh, how good are your tents, Jacob, and your dwelling places, Yisrael. You know, out of the only, and here's the other thing. Balaam was the only Gentile prophet listed in the Torah. And yet, what do we have today? All kinds of people in the, in the so-called church saying, oh, I'm a prophetess, I'm a prophet. And yet, your words contradict the Torah. And the dichotomy is, at least Balaam's words did not contradict the Torah. Though he met his fate later on in uh, Parashah Pincus, which is next week. Oh my goodness. That was like a steel chair off the top rope, like <laughs> coming down. That was brutal. You know, well, you know, it keeps getting brutal in this ruination. And the problem Ripley. is they just don't get it because they've separated themselves. They're so far from Torah because they've created their own religion. They keep listening to Constantine, a Roman Caesar. Yeah, it's a perpetual self. Um, basically, you create a perpetual loop of separation from the truth. Like that's literally how it's set up to where the more you learn, the more you you are taught to choose to separate to further and distance yourself like that's like a downward spiral basically on steroids or like a black hole <laughs> yeah that's that's how i see that it. it's it's like I always you know like you said it's oh. perpetual it's arizal <laughs> About the 18,000 worlds that are shown. Oh, yeah, that's a vote of Zara. Yes. Okay, so check this out. So the other Shlomo, shouts out to Shlomo. May he live okay. and be well. Shlomo Bentonel. <laughs> I mean, this kid, he was given the Josh last Shabbat, and he was talking about this. He said, so, you know, Hashem was, um, was creating worlds and worlds and worlds, and, like, none of them were sustained. Because everyone or each of those worlds, no one accepted the Torah. Yep. Until this one, we had the Nasev and Nishma, right? My comment to him to that was like, oh, so basically Christianity is set up to destroy the world. Based off the simple premise of <laughs> let's not do the Torah. Let's we don't accept that. Nope. Which there's already a, a midrash that says Hashem offered the Torah to all the nations. Only Israel accepted it. 
because one of those people that was offered it was Esav, a.k.a. Dumb Christianity. They said, well, yeah, what's in it? Oh, adultery? No, we can't. We can't deal with that. That That's totally our thing. Oh, boy. Which what's adultery? It's idolatry. So what is there? It's golden calf making. Yep. Spiritual adultery. So, I mean, it's that's a place, man. That's that. that yeah, it's a black hole. OK. <laughs> you know, the whole Jesus is God thing, you know. And the crucifix with the body on it, you know, because, you know, Hashem has no form. Oh, you know, wow. Just like, you know, John says in his gospel, first chapter, no one had seen him. Mm. So, yeah, just a, just an example of the, the idolatry, you know, because they tie up all their theology pretty much in that. And I or know, in Pente- yeah, in Pentecostalism, they tie up their salvation theology in, in a single verse. That's Acts 2.38. Hmm. Which I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. I mean, I've... But since coming into Torah, I realize the true context of that verse lies in the Mishkan. Because where did Peter deliver that message? In the, in the precincts of the temple. What's he talking about there? He's talking about status change. Connect it with Yochanan 3 and then connect that with Vayikra. So there really is an exchange of the menorah for the golden calf. Yes. Wow. And thinking that Water immersion is just a one-time thing. Misinterpreting Hebrews. No, mikvah is about a status change. And it's not restricted to just a one-time thing. It's every time that you approach Hashem. Every single time you have to do this in order to bring your korbanot. There's blood and water all the time. And what, yeah, you see, there you go. Yokinon's oh. first letter. The three witnesses. The blood, the water, and the word. And these three agree. And they're one. Oh, I need oxygen. And, who, and, and, and after chapter two, what, what happens in Acts three? It's Peter and John going up to the temple, the gate beautiful. And who do they find there? I'm going to context here because context is king. Ecclesiology is the queen. Um, they find a crippled man there. He could not go into the temple. Why? Because cripples are not halakhically allowed to go into the temple, environs of the temple. How many times did Yeshua encounter anyone who was uh, physically um, imperfect? That a defect, bruh. I never thought about that because there's no sitting in the temple. No, 
So yeah, if you're lame, you won't be able to go. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And he was begging for alms at the gate beautiful. And Peter says, Kasef, low Kasef. Mm. I don't have any, but what I do have, I can give to you. In the name of the master, rise up and walk. Mm. Better than money. And he got up and he rejoiced. Why? Because now I can go where the Shekinah is. And guess what else is in the temple for people who can walk? A Zadaka room. To give Zadaka. If he needs some Zadaka, he can walk and go get it. And you know how that room is set up? So that no one knows who's giving and no one knows who's receiving. Mm. Mm. Because the gimel is mm. running to the dalet, which is pointing away from the gimel. That's the mystical meaning of those two letters when it comes to Zadaka. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I know... I'm such a Marvel person. I, I, uh, <laughs> they have a movie called Shang-Chi coming out. And I just feel like after what we just discussed, I just feel like I know the movie now. So thanks. <laughs> that was just like some stuff, man. Oh, my goodness. The commentary. Anyway, um, I don't know if you picked up on this, Mr. Sephiroth, man, that you just talked about Shabbat Chazon. Going into Tishbaav, then Shabbat Nachamu, all the way up to Rosh Hashanah. Well, guess what? We got three weeks, followed by a seven cycle. Where have we seen this before? We've seen the three, the Chokmah, Bina, Da'at, intellect, followed by the emotional seven that get rectified. Pesach. Already rectified at the Seder, at the Seder. Then you spend the counting of the Omer, bringing up the other seven. The three weeks is literally likened to, according to the Shlonim Rebbe, brought down again by Rabbi Trugman, that the Shlonim Rebbe says the three weeks is the outline. It's the framework for the month of Tishrei. Because there's another three weeks we're going to go to with Rosh Hashanah to Shemini Atzeret. So you color in the framework of these three, and then you go through the seven, and then you go back into the three. And, you know, I think I just remembered something else. Okay, so I think there's seven weeks from... Shabbat Nakamu to Rosh Hashanah, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the seven Haftaras of Constellation. Yeah, so, and now you have a different three weeks, like you're saying. Yeah. You have Rosh Hashanah, the Judgment Day, and then Yom Hav Kippurim, which is atonement, the covering, and now I'm going to, do a shameless plug for Yosef because the reason why that the Keteret, the incense, covers 
It's because it covers their sin. But also, remember on Yom HaKippurim, what's the one thing that the Kohen Gadol sees when he comes out from the most holy place? There's only one thing he can see. The Manaira. The eyes of Hashem. Revelation. Yeah, those fiery the eyes, eyes of Hashem go to and fro throughout the earth, trying the, the hearts eyes. of men. The seven weeks. Ooh. Oh, that's an inception drop, man. Come on. The seven weeks from Shabbat Nakamuta Rosh Hashanah. You can see on Yom Kippur coming. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And all, the and all the branches point inward towards the center branch. Vayikra, and he called the little Aleph. Yeah. He's calling. Remember the rumination? If he yeah. called, would you know his voice? See, why would anyone in their right mind want to be cursed. I, I just... But I guess they want to. You know, is it, Why did Christianity choose the curses directed towards those who touch anointed Israel? This is, what that, this is what that verse means. Don't lay your hands on my anointed. He's talking about Israel. Did you know that's connected to the whole rapture theology? That's literally one of the most anti-Semitic backhands that go out all the long day. Because what does it mean? It means that all the Christians are going to be taken away. And guess who's going to be left to suffer among many other people? Jews. You know what Yehezkel says? Why are they going up to a heavenly barbecue when the Jews are going to be down here suffering? He's yeah. not firing a broadside on that theology. He's aiming for the bridge of your ship. <laughs> Take out your shields and weapons, man. <laughs> Railgun shot, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think about this, the gravity of that, because I never thought about it before. I'm mean, like, oh, yeah, rapture, rapture doctrine is wrong. Like, that's not a thing. But it's like, no, no, no. Just think about it for a second. What, what does that saying about the people who generated that how much hatred does it take to come up with something like that because I recall in the Elenu our hearts are going out to the world that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Hashem like not from a place of torture and destruction but like a place where Hashem will transform the entire world the place where all of the falsehood and all the scales, if you will, will be taken from people's eyes. Not a, well, sorry you didn't make it, bro. You know, the story of the two people running from the bear and it's like, you just have to be faster than the other person. You know, it's like, no. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's... Yeah, you know, it... Wow. Yeah, I think about that a lot sometimes too. I how 
anti-Semitic it is and how rooted in uh, replacement theology it is and supersessionism and Platonistic theology. That's the thing with uh, Christian theology. It, it is infected by Neoplatonism. You know, Plato's cave analogy because he says the Jews are stuck in the cave and we're out here in the so-called light. Mm. And yet the church thinks that Plato was a righteous man. Aristotle later repented of this position himself, who was a student of Plato. He recanted every single thing that he learned from Plato and said everything that Plato said is false. Because oh. he realized he came to a place of Torah and realized. I could go back to 11a here and I vote there and read about Ankylos. Yeah. Get you some, you know. Might be a good idea because I don't, I don't think sometimes we understand who he is, who he was. Sleek out. You know? I mean, you think about transformations, right? <laughs> uh -huh. Dude, I love this Kamara too. There's another one. I just <laughs> let it loose, man. Let loose. Just remember. When you read this, so everybody who's listening, right? Just yeah. remember, this is being read. There's literally a five-volume humash generated by this man. And obviously, through the Raka Kodesh. And this is what we're told. Yeah, that right there. We're told to read this twice after we read through the Torah in Hebrew every week in the parsha so just that's the that's the preface yeah <laughs> Ankylos was a righteous Roman he was a friend of Caesar this is we're talking possibly the first century maybe the second super close to Yeshua yeah Maybe two or three decades apart, perhaps. Closer than us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's possible pre-70 CE. Possibly. It really depends on the context of the Gemara. Okay. Because we need to know the rabbis who were living at the time who brought this part of the oral Torah. Mm. That disseminated it. So I think, yeah, that would be a good thing to look into. From a historicity point of view. So we're talking a contemporary of Shaul. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, um, mm. so the Gemara relates the story of another righteous Roman. Onkelos, the son of Kelonimus, converted to Judaism. The Caesar sent a troop of Romans after him. I love this. But Onkelos enticed them by citing verses of the Torah. And they too converted. <laughs> cool. The very people who are destroying the temple, by the way. You know that? Oh, man. Yeah, I shared this in a shul I used to go to. 
you know, with some people who, you know, from the Hebrew roots, you know, and you know how anti-oral Torah they are, um, you know. And I was just being honest with them, you know, this is one of my favorite Gemaras, you know, that I love to share, you know. So to continue, the Caesar then sent another troop of Romans after him. He told them, do not say anything to him. But as they were taking him along with them, he said to them, let me tell you something trivial. The Nithyora holds the torch in front of the Pifyora, the Pifyora in front of the Duke, the Duxa, the Duxa in front of the Hegmona, the Hegmona in front of the king. Now, would the king hold the torch before ordinary people? They answered him, No. Uncles told them, but the Holy One, blessed is he, the king of all kings, holds a torch before the Jews. As it is written, Hashem went before them by day, etc., in a pillar of cloud, and by night a, in a pillar of fire to give them light. They all converted to Judaism. That is just so awesome. <laughs> The Caesar then sent another troop after him and instructed them, do not discuss anything with him. As they were taking him along with them, <clears throat> he saw a mezuzah that was fixed on a doorway. He put his hand on it and asked them, what is this? They answered him, you tell us. Ankylos explained to them, <clears throat> The way of the world is that a king of flesh and blood sits inside his palace and his servants guard him from the outside. But the Holy One, blessed is he, his servants, Israel, are inside while he guards them from the outside. As it is stated, Hashem will guard your departure and your arrival from this time and forever. They, too, converted to Judaism. The Caesar did not send after him again. I just love it. What, what, we have going about... on, what do we have going on today? We have myriads of people converting to Judaism, but by way of the master. Amen. Amen. By way of, by way of his words. Need it. We need it. Because I was thinking, have you ever thought about the connection of that last uh, account about the mezuzah being Mashiach at the gates of Rome? Oh, yeah. Sitting outside to guard his people. Not saying that his people are inside Rome, but obviously we know from what we just talked about with the conversions that are going on, apparently some of Israel is, or a lot of Israel is in Rome. And we need Yeshua on the outside to pull us out, which is happening. So Baruch Hashem. But I was thinking about the fact of the Shekinah sitting outside of Jerusalem. You know, being like a mezuzah. 
I thought of him sitting at the gates saying, do you really want to go in there? Mm. Into a place of idolatry, of uncleanness. A door works. Impurity, but yet, the sages say, from a place of impurity, he brings purity. If I can find it, would you allow me to take a moment on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is Trevile Pincus for this week's Parsha. English, yes. There's a whole section called Bringing Impurity. Who can produce purity from impurity? If you have Shavile Pincus for some reason, that's amazing. Uh, it's on page four. And it says, we will now endeavor to explain why HaKadosh Paruku chose to build the house of Yisrael specifically with the help of Lavan Ha'aremi. Ha'aremi, like the, the Aramean. It says, the root of impurity who schemed to destroy everything. So, just from the preface alone, the impurity is used to build Israel. The place that we're talking about, like, do you really want to go in there? Like, that's the building block. That's a building block, <laughs> which is crazy. Go ahead. Oh, um, Yeah, why would any nation that was founded upon the principles outlined in Scripture, America, oppose Israel? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of us here are getting this opportunity to build up the House of Israel, which is crazy. How, how many Christian organizations are giving to Jewish establishments right now? Yeah, right. I mean, that's yeah, that that is that's interesting that you brought that up because you got a lot of Southern Baptists now who are delving in the Torah. Get you some, and they, and they, too, and they too give Zadaka. Come on with it, you know. So it's happening, you know. Yeah, so here's what he brings down Bami Bar Rabbah 19 1. Didn't you just mention that earlier? Um, <laughs> I feel like you did or somewhere around there. It says the, this is the statute of the Torah. Zot hukat ha-Torah. This is the implication of the Pasuk in Job 14.4. Who can produce purity from impurity? Is it not Echad? Is it not the one who is called one? Such as Avraham from Terah. Hezekiah from King Ahaz, yep. Josiah from Ammon, Mordecai from Shimei, and it says Yisrael from idolaters. Bruh, what? The Olam Haba from the Olam Hazay? Who did this? Who commanded this? Who decreed this? Was it not the one and only of the world? Echad.
so yeah. Uh, I think this is the concluding paragraph. It says, it is precisely for this reason Hakadosh Baruch Hu utilizes the wicked ones, the Rashaim, to build the realm of Kedusha. Balak and Bilam were basically builders of Israel in this parsha. It says, for this demonstrates to all of creation that they have no autonomous power of their own. Their existence and sustenance comes from Hakadosh Baruchu. He manipulates them to express his will. This is the quintessential form of discrediting Avoda Zera. This then is the message conveyed by the Pasuk. Who can produce purity from impurity? Why does Hakadosh Baruchu orchestrate scenarios whereby a pure soul and being like Avraham comes from an impure one like Terak? Is it not the one who is called Echad? The Rashaim of the world claim Hakadosh Baruchu is not the supreme, the only supreme power in the world. To disprove them and demonstrate his oneness, he compels them to do his bidding, such as building the realm of Kedusha. Terak, you want to sell idols? Well, I dub you the father of the first Jew. <laughs> uh, you know, the Midrash says that uh, Nimrod was a tyrant who held sway over the known world at the time. He brought everyone into slavery to him. That is to his um, way of thinking. You know, and we have that men Nimrod mentality today amongst his the way nations. Of thinking. Oh, how that is being totally done today. Yeah. And Abraham was opposed to this. He even tried to pass the buck. All the big idols knocked over all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, he's got the axe, not me, you know, so don't even blame me, you know. <laughs> you know, and then Rod finds out about it. And then I'm, I'm quoting the Agotic from the Midrash, you know. Yeah. Um, where Nimrod offered Abraham a choice, you know, bow down to me or get tossed into the furnace. So you toss me in right now. I'd rather that. And where else do we find that? The friends of Daniel. Hanania, Mishael, and Azariah. Commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which All was that. the Babylonian names. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm you know what? Actually, those are Aramaic. Because that's the language of Babylon. Yes. I'm gonna. Oh, I don't. I can't throw my phone because it's recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> oh my goodness! I have to restrain myself. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. What? We have a whole Talmud comes from Babylon. It's Aramaic. Oh my goodness. Did you know that? I mean, that's the Hebrew and the uh, Talmud. It's Aramaic, right? 
when you see the little phrases? That's Aramaic. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Why would any person name... Look at this. Why would any person name Barak, Arabic for blessing, choose to be cursed? <laughs> Hello, my name is Blessing. Today I choose curses. It's like... uh Clearly, you don't know who you are, sir. Identity crisis. That's what it is. And did we ever wonder that people don't know what gender they are today? Oh, yes. Same-sex relationships, marriages. Identity crisis. Taking the... Uh, the bow that Hashem set as a sign that I will never destroy the earth with water again. Mm -hmm. While these very people drink from the waters of Shatim. Yeah. yeah, they talk about in the Midrash that there was a, a body of water or spring of water dirty spring that is that flowed from that place and that's what the people drank in order to succumb to the folly that we succumbed to at the end of this parasha to have relations with all of these Midianite women there was a spring of water there that uh, we drank from and, uh, and yeah it's this week's parsha. But Moshe was supposed to speak to the rock rather Ooh. than strike it twice. Oh. So, yeah, we have that event. And Shaul, both Yeshua and Shaul, you know, touch on it. You know, the master says, you know, he that uh, believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So you've exchanged the rock out. You have a different rock now <laughs> to give you water that you're you drinking know, from. Yeah, then Shaul says in Corinthians, you know, these things were written for our admonition to remind uh -huh. us of the sins of, the, of that generation prior to the wanderings. Um, yeah, that's the thing is, um, I've been hearing, you know, apparently the narrative in the Torah after Parashah Shalak Leka is when the, after the sin of the spies is when the 38 and a half years of wandering begins in the wilderness, because then you have the rebellion of Korach occurring during that time. And now now that we're in uh, Balak, we also have Balak sending Balaam to curse Israel, and it failed three times. Third time's the charm. The oldest blessing in the Sidur comes out. <laughs> and then we have Moshe striking the rock. Because the well, that, was, that was Parsha Hukat. Oh, Hukat? Hukat was that. But Hukat and Balak are actually read together normally, so it would be the same part, Yeah. Yeah, double portion. 
So come on. It's it striking the rock twice, double portion. on the sold level. Yeah, yeah. sold level. It's actually the same part, y'all. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the answer to these questions is quite simple pride and arrogance. The proud one considers himself completely in the right. Whether it be a theologian or a government official, they consider themselves above the curses because they could not possibly be wrong. Nations that turn against Israel reveal themselves as ultimately arrogant. You know, and since now that it touches on that subject, we have a president who's enabling Hamas and Hezbollah and wants to re-enter the Iran nuclear deal, which ultimately will be disastrous because it will destabilize the region and put Israel in a position where they are going to have to act. As a matter of fact, they are acting because um, was it uh, the new head of I think the IDF is here now. You know, and he's telling the Biden administration, look, man, we're going to hit Iran. We cannot allow them to become nuclear, period. Because Israel understands there's a destabilizing factor. You know, Mossad has gathered enough intelligence to determine that it's actionable and it must happen. But this is driving Israel to the point where they are acting alone. Yep, that's what we need. You know, and what nation has the right to tell Israel, who's the apple of God's eye, what to do, what they can do and what they can do, you know? Um, Because even more curses come upon the nations when they try to force Israel to divide up the land. You know, um, I pointed out a few podcasts back about um, when they gave away the Gaza Strip back in 05 and Hurricane Katrina struck in the Gulf. Wow. That's Hashem lifting his hand, you know. And the Hasidon just goes to town, man. The accuser. You, you pretty much invite the angel of death, but you really don't even need him because you have the Satan. But you don't even have Io, who Hashem handed over to the Satan to distract him from prosecuting the Jewish people at the Yom Suf. <laughs> Wow. And that's the Yari's all on Beishalak, man. That one is so, uh, you know, over the wall, man. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Yeshua handed over to sinful men. Talk about Mita connected Mita. Wow. Do we know what the meaning of Job is? Have we looked up his name? Uh, Ios. Um, uh, it's spelled uh, Yod Aleph Faith, isn't it? 
Boy, if this is the word for enemy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's a gematria of 13. The same gematria as Ekad. You are <laughs> correct, sir. Aleph Yod Vets is the root of Eov. Which, didn't you have a gematria for 19 a couple of weeks ago? Was that you, or is that somebody else? Don't think so, but... Oh, no, I forget. All of us tour people look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's punching me in the face, and I'm like, who hit me? <laughs> like, that's me. And I'm like, who are you? But now, somebody had a gematria for 19, because if you add the Vav to get EO to Oyev, you uh you end up with 19. Oh, completely. Yeah. But either way, we're looking at Echad, though. Yeah. And you multiply that times two. You have the Gematria for um, Yodke Vavke. Um, times two, you have Ben, which is Sun. Uh, plus one, you have Evan, which is both son and father. Yeah, and Shemot 23, that's the first use of that word. And Hashem says, I will be an Oyev to your Oyev. I'll be an enemy to your enemies. The enemy but, of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> nice. Oh, friend that sticks closer than a brother. So the full context of this verse, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, guess who it is? This is the passage of Matat, Memtet. <laughs> The angel of Hashem that's supposed to lead us. Read the Midbar twelve twenty. Twelve twenty. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Twelve twenty. What time is it? It's twelve twenty. You ain't know. Okay, so I can't do that in the English Bible. Thanks a lot, Vulgate. So if you're in your English Bible, there is no Bar 1220. Just that heads up to everybody. But if you have a Tanakh, <laughs> it says, and Bar 1220. Uh, no, it's not a verse either. Oh, wait a minute. I think it's 1210. Excuse me. Okay, Baruch Hashem. So, English Bible say, Vulgate, sorry. But you're still <laughs> wrong. 
the Vulgate, just just to give everybody context, because I always talk about it, um, they rearranged a lot of the uh, chapters and verses so that sometimes when you're reading the Tanakh, there's different chapters and number of verses per chapter that are different. So, for instance, Parsha Korach will be the biggest discrepancy. You'll see about when um, it was the uh, Korach getting swallowed up and the 250 who rebelled with him and all that. That's in different chapters and verses, depending on if you're reading from a Tanakh or a regular Bible. But back to our scheduled reading that we're doing right now. By me, bar 1210, as the cloud withdrew from the tent, there was Miriam stricken with snow white scales with Zarat. So when Aharon turned towards Miriam, he saw that she was stricken with Zarat. Is that the verse you were thinking of? Um. I'm thinking Arizal because he says that Moshe is a Moloch. Whoa. There's a verse in Numbers where it says and they and Hashem sent an angel to bring you out of Mitzrayim. And the Arizal quotes that verse. Um, Yeah, let's let's get that. Stand by, prepare for source. So you're saying the word Moloch is in this passage. It's based on another verse from Exodus 18. Hmm. Well, I hope you can find that because... That would be a great link up here. Parsha Behalotka. Uh, yeah, Shemot 18.8. The head letters of the Hebrew words for Moshe told his father-in-law everything is Malak, angel. For me, bar 2016. 2016, okay. Ruch Hashem. Thank he you, Hashem. An, yeah, and Malak, angel. This was Moshe Rabbeinu who was called angel. With respect to him, it says in Parashah, who caught? He sent an angel who took us out of Egypt. There it is. That is uh, Pesukim Shemot on Parashah Yitro. 
The Hebrew of the Bamibar verse is Vayishma Kolenu Vayishlach Malak. And he heard our voice and he sent an angel. Vayotzienu. Yeah, Vayotzienu Mimitzrayim. And he freed us from Mitzrayim. So Hashem frees us from Mitzrayim by hearing our voice and sending his angel. Wow. I don't know. I just keep stay lying on that because it's crazy that Hashem calls Moshe uh, Malak that delivers us from Egypt when every single day we read in the Shema, which is used in this phrase, Hashem is the one who delivered us from Egypt. You know, Ani Adonai Elohechem Asher Hodzeti Me'eretz Mitzrayim. I am Hashem, your God, who has delivered you from the land of Mitzrayim. And it's connected to an angel, and it's connected to Moshe. So, like, the whole understanding of, which I, we talked about this on the last rumination, where I got really uncomfortable because it's a new thing for me to understand Hashem is Echad, like without the corporeality, you know, like because the clouds, the ark, the tablets, the angel, the Zadikim in the future, you know, like the name of Hashem, like the, what it's, what it's attached to, you know? So it's just it's just really interesting when you're saying Hashem, you're saying a lot of things. Yeah. See in Exodus add in the Hebrew. Uh, Exodus eighteen eight. Uh Moshe Lehokt no at Kol. At Kol. The Mem Lamed Aleph and the Kaf. There you have Malak. But wow. what the Ari is doing, he's changing the cough to cough Sophie. Hmm. So those so four it, letters. Okay. Because, you know, that's also the gematria of Amain, 91. And that's, a, that's an acronym for? El Melech Neymar, God the Faithful King. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, let's see. There you go. And then um, there's another spot in uh, Shemot where Moshe says that, you know, Hashem will send an angel before you, but he be careful that you do not trespass, for he will not forgive trespasses. Yeah, that's in the same chapter I was just reading from with the, the meaning of Job. 
So it's funny. The meaning of Job is connected to the angel who redeems us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, That's deep. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Where are we at on the rumination over here? Okay. The answer to these questions is quite simple. Pride and arrogance. As a matter of fact, yeah, I read that already. So the next one is, and thus we may learn the secret of to blessings, the opposite of arrogance, humility. And what I was just reading from my vote is 20B. The theology of the humble is not as logical or systematic as the arrogant theologian demands because it simply depends on the words of the living God not on some man-made interpretation of those words. The theology of the humble is not as logical or systematic. So I like the way this phrase puts it because as it talks about the arrogant theologian, the arrogant theologian is connected to man-made interpretation of words super uh, based off of systematic because there, there's a thing called systematic theology. So literally that is telling of the level of arrogance. There's so much theology that simple faith has no place. When Torah is built off of simple faith, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely. Our source for blessing is it's quiet and personal. It is simply trusting in a wise and loving king. He is the soul source of all blessings we are simply obedient subjects to the king of the universe our father our king we have no king but you you know he holds the torch for us just like I read from about Azera 11a. Yeah, Uncle Os brought that down. Yeah, you know, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. For the humble. Yeah, who dwell underneath it. Just imagine being in a sukkah in those days. Yep. And seeing that. Because that same tractate of Odazera talks about the nations who disgusted, they're disgusted by the sukkah. Yeah. Um, that was in 3B. In, uh, yeah, 3B. I even have that bookmarked. You know, they, it says, and they'll kick the sukkah. Yeah. Just like they punched and spit at Yeshua. Yeah. 
They treat the sukkah just like they treated Yeshua on the way to this crucifixion. You know, and they used to flail on him, the Romans. Mm-hmm. That was exquisitely painful. You know, you just cannot imagine what he went through for us, you know. Right. Just you know, but he was our he's our Job. He's handed over. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that's the Kabbalah of it, you know. You know, the mystical aspect of his offering you know so that means it behooves us to walk in deliverance and to walk in freedom because you think about the implications of Job being handed over and if we never went through the Yom Suf you know it's just like okay so I'm going to cause the Yom Suf to split real quick and I'm going to distract the Satan by giving him Yov, Yov. So if he was distracted with Yov and doing that, and we were just like, oh, look, the sea is parted. How beautiful. I guess I'll go back to Egypt or what's left of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. <clears throat> um, he quotes Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Ashrei ha'am. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the man. Actually, Australia actually means happy. Yep. Is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Torah of Hashem. And on his Torah, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. I think of Shaul when he says in Corinthians, every man's work will be tested. And those works that are not uh, will be burned in fire. But if your works remain, you know, they are rotten him you know they're they come from him yeah if we're doing his will and we know that the torah is this revealed will so if we're doing that you know it won't be burned that's right fireproof yeah it won't it won't be consumed Did you know the the ashray that you brought up, the Psalm 1, and um, that's in the Matthew 5, and it's also in Devarim 33.29 where it says, ashray are you, Yisrael, who is like you, a people saved by Hashem. Dude, okay, real quick, because you just got to say it, right? Because people think, oh, the poor Jews, they got to get saved. Deuteronomy 33, 29, people. How are we get how do we not knowing this verse? Israel is saved. <laughs> anyway, um, 
people say that's by the last, uh, that's the last Parsha of the cycle, isn't it? Vezot Habaraka, and mm-hmm. this is the blessing. The blessing that Hashem is our salvation. Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith chapter. Yep. That's are you it. seriously going to tell me that those people are going to Gehenna because they didn't accept, quote unquote, Jesus as their personal savior? Mm. That just wow. contradicts the Torah altogether. You know, this raising of the hand and walking the aisle. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, Just but very confusing. <laughs> it's not individual, you know, like a previous rumination, individuals are redeemed, but into a community. Yeah, to Israel. Exactly. That's what we're grafted into the wild olive branch, into the olive tree. And we dare not boast against the root because the root supports us. Yep. So think about the armor of God. Think about the the crowns that we get in Revelation. I think Corinthians may bring them up too. Think about all those because here it is. It says, this is the same verse, Deuteronomy 33, 29. He is your shield, shield of our salvation. He is our helper and our glorious sword, like the sword of the spirit. <laughs> and then it says, your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. So, uh, because there's a whole thing about the, uh, the endurance running the race attaining the the incorruptible you know the crown of victory and things like that for overcoming revelation yeah the he that overcomes will be given the crown of life yeah so i'm just thinking about all that that's right here in deuteronomy 33 29 so i'm going to take a screenshot uh yeah absolutely <laughs> okay yeah, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Hashem knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And while you were reading that from Devarim 33.29, I thought of Psalm 91. Hmm. Um, the seven I wills at the end. Seven. Here we go again. Um, was it? Uh, Um, 14. Because he loves me, 
I will rescue him. Because he knows my name, I will protect him. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him when he is in trouble. I will extricate him and bring him honor. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. There you have it. And so what I read from Psalm 1, 1 through 6 caps off the rumination, and then we have Bain HaMetzurim. So like we said at the beginning of the podcast, this week we enter the three weeks of Bain HaMetzurim between the troubles. You know, and a choice is before us. You know, like Moshe says in Devarim, today I set before you the blessing and the curse. So what choices we make during these three weeks that are only a couple days away, you know. We see what the choices Israel made with the golden calf and then the spies. Two, two sins that uh, Hashem has not let Israel forget about. And what's interesting about the spies, the other bookend of this is that you know, they cried out to Hashem for no reason. And Hashem goes, really? <laughs> he listened. You, you're, you're whining for nothing? Okay. I'll give you something to whine about, to moan about, to lament over. You will wander in this wilderness for 40 years. Those who are 20 and over will not enter the land. Their carcasses will fall in this wilderness. And even, and the other, yeah. Yeah, it's Parashat Hukat that Miriam and Aharon were buried. They passed away. Yeah. But now we find, because Moshe struck the rock, that he too, because he was of that generation as well. Even though he wasn't between 20 and 60, which is so crazy. Yeah. Because he was 80. Yeah. He was far removed. <laughs> but the, he struck the rock, so he wasn't removed, unfortunately, because he's my favorite. He always has been my favorite Navi, you know, because he brought down the Torah. He led Israel all those years and taught them. 
You know, it's just, I find it disturbing that the church derides him and yet they're so eager to take his place. Yeah. And I would be prompted to ask them, okay, you put yourself in his shoes. You got this rabble just complaining, left and right, confetching. And a sim tells you, you know, speak to the rock and water will come out. What do you think you would have done anything differently? Not to mention your favorite sister ever. <laughs> she just passed away on top of all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then look at Miriam, who spoke against Moshe. And Aharon was right there. And he could have stopped her. Right. Don't even think about it. Yeah. See, that's Mina connected Mina again. Measure for measure. You know, it's in Vaigra, if you see your brother about to sin, you need to stop him. You need to say something. Wow. Wow. Uh, I brought up previously about how um, Cain's murdering of Abel, he had no remorse at all. He didn't do anything about it. He destroyed seed. He could, those are the generations that could have come from Hevel. They could have been Torah Kakam. They could have been Torah scholars, you know? Wow. But the parents had to do something about it. Yeah, I was going to mention the Yiboom aspect. Yeah. That's, it should have been the Exactly. You know? Um, this brings new, a deeper insight into the part of the Shema that says, and you shall teach these things diligently to your children. By doing this, you are making sure that they adhere to the principles of the Torah. That they don't commit these mistakes. You know, again, Shaul, these things were written for our admonition. You know, it's... And then the riot of Hebrews. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That one, you guys... Think about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but we wake up in the morning. What do we say? We're making our choice. Which, by the way, is from the uh, lamentations that we'll be reading Eka uh, during Tishbab. Oh, yeah. We talk about great is your faithfulness. Which, by the way, just to give us a little hope at the end of this tunnel, one of the traditions in Judaism is that the birthday of the Mashiach is on Tishbab. Really? Yeah. Well, 
So, yeah. Of all days. So think about this, right? Like the birthday of Mashiach being correlated to the arrival of the Mashiach. And how we're talking about the tacoons, the rectifications that need to happen within us. These three weeks are intentional for us to draw that down. Because the tablets come down on the 17th. But the thing is, is are we ready for them? Or are we still making golden calves? Because the energy is there already. We already know we have infinite mazels. So even during these three weeks have been horrible and tragic. We just mentioned we were crying for no reason. Like we created this three weeks. We need to be recreating this three weeks. Like the most crazy and ridiculous thing that we can think of. Mashiach arriving. Mashiach being seen in us. Us bringing Mashiach. Us ending Lashon Hara. You know, us receiving the Sapphire tablets and them not being broken overturning this time of mourning into the greatest joy, anticipating the birth of Mashiach. We have three weeks to do this, to like grab a hold of that energy because it's there. We know it is that same intensity of the crying in the morning. That's the latent energy of the joy that we have available. We got to grab that. And it's through our consciousness which is crazy because that's why we read this Torah portion. This Torah portion is all about consciousness. Yeah. Because the, uh, they, they bring this down that reality is created based off of what you do with your consciousness. And the thing is that it's 17 to lose is 40 days after Shavuot. Right. New creation. 40 has to do with uh, the whole thing about becoming new. And Mita connected Mita because of the spies, their Lashon Hara speaking against the land because those three are one in the covenant. The Brit, the Torah, Hashem, and the people, the land. Yes. Because I say three because in Exodus 19, Hashem said, get the people ready. Yeah, three days. For on the third day, I will descend. There. Yeah. Upon the mountain. So as far as the three weeks are concerned, I think we need to do something crazy and ridiculous and, and bring Mashiach. Because I, it's very telling in that verse. Why were we crying? There was no yeah. reason yes. to cry. And look what it brought. We know Hashem's uh, justice and his judgment is weaker than Hashem's blessing yeah. and his grace. Because why? All these myriads of angels came down to crown us. But and how every, many came down to and take every, away? And every person had two crowns. Yeah. Because of the snail of coat. Mm-hmm. 
But here's the thing. They really had nothing to cry about. But for us, or, or for them, that generation, they could have lamented over the sin of the golden calf. They could have lamented over the Lashon Hara of the spies. This is what we can do to bring yes. to doom, to bring rectification, to rectify that most grievous of sins, two most grievous sins. The temple was destroyed because of unmitigated hate. Lashon Hara, again, this is what Mendel Kessen was talking about in the podcast that I was listening to from him, is that this is why it keeps Mashiach back. This is why Mashiach Ben Yosef's work is not done yet. It's because of that. And we need to put a stop to it once and for all. Yeah, that's and the it real begin, It begins with me. It begins with you. It begins with my wife, your wife, and so forth. The progression. We got to bring Kedusha. Let's do this, man. I keep stressing it all the time. We keep crying out for him. And Hashem says, what are you crying for Mishyak for? You can bring it. That's what he keeps speaking to me about. Why? Because we perform the Torah and mitzvot. We can bring him. You know, it's not convoluted. It's not hidden from us. Man, you know him, right? Because what did what did Yeshua tell us right before he left? Go bank Talmudim. Chabad is super smart because they understand the power of the mitzvot. They literally have campaigns to just get people to wrap to fill in, to just get women to light candles, like. Making that your aim, you know, and I always, I, I've been telling Maggie and Shainu, you know, our shul, I've been telling us, we need to connect people to Torah. Get them connected. Just, you know, they may not know, they may not care, you know. Just like what we talked about today, those people who are in the path and already ready and their Hashem has them prepared. And so you just go. Like, that's what we're talking about. Just. Let them just give them the connection. Yeah, Hashem will do the rest, you know. Mashiach one, is one plants and other waters. That's the three weeks, man. That's what we need to do with um, all the intensity that in the world. <laughs> see, that's the thing we also have to remember is the season of sin and redemption. Is still all part of the narrative of redemption. We, we have to keep that in mind. Um, um, we know it begins, as we said, on the 17th Tammuz and ends on the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. As we have seen that the Moadim of Hashem appointments or Feast of Hashem are prophetic time markers. So we see a cycle of sin and mercy in the life of a nation of Israel and this time called between the troubles. But what examines the history of the nation of Israel in regard to this three-week period between the troubles it is a remarkable recounting of sin and its consequences. 
It is also a period which points to a yet future time of joy. You see, beloved, it is a time period of time that Zechariah alludes to in Zechariah 8, 18 and 19, where the mention of the fast of the fourth month, 17 Tammuz, and the fast of the fifth month, ninth of Av, are bookends for this period. Then the word of Hashem of hosts came to me, saying, Thus has Hashem of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh, what we were talking earlier. I mean, we have two bookend three weeks here. I, you know, I mean, five by seven. Seven plus six is 13. And this, you know what? All this is part of the secret of the noon. Why? Because you have two 50 days. Yeah. Two yeah. seven out and from it. Mm-hmm. But it's still all part of the narrative of redemption. I keep thinking Yom Shekalo Shabbat. Yeah. A time that is all Shabbat. That's what we get when when the alarm of us starts. Yeah. And when we go through these cycles year after year, we're getting a taste of it. Wow. Remember when the Torah was given? It doesn't use the word shofar. Yo, and then the same word appears in when Joshua marches around Jericho on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. On the seventh time, Yovel declared freedom throughout all the land. Yep. This is the Torah declares our freedom. That's what you just read about Yeshua reading the Haftarah. He was declaring yeah. the freedom. Yeah, you know, you start putting these all together and you start getting a much larger picture. You begin to yeah. see the mind of Hashem and his, his intent for us as his creations. And how, and how that is the reality that's supposed to be, not the one we're living in now. Um, this was a Rabbi Ginsburg teaching shared by Rabbi Trugman on Seasons of the Soul. Yudzain Tammuz is the 17th of Tammuz. 17 is the Gematria for good. 17th of Tammuz was meant to be a day that was greater than the first day of creation. Because Moshe was coming down with the Lukot. Olam Haba was about to get started. Had Israel not committed the sin of the golden calf, it would have been Olam Haba. This is Olam Haba season. That's why this parasha, among yeah. many others, talk about Mashiach. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful 
feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Yeah. Get you some of that. Imagine not fasting anymore. <laughs> we won't need to. Because we won't be like this anymore. Yeah, and we'll be in the presence of the bridegroom. And you don't fast during that time. Yeah, but we fast now because the bridegroom's not with us anymore. And he's only not here because we're choosing Lashon Hara. Uh, yep. So well, dates. We need June... to remember the promise, though. Yeah. You know, as we remember the sin and the calamity of these three weeks, you know, between the troubles, these two dates of 17 Tammuz and 9th of Avar, bookends in time, it is these three weeks that are alluded to in Jeremiah 111 when he is shown an almond tree as symbolic of the calamity coming upon Judah during the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. It takes 21 days for an almond to go from blossom to fully ripen. Back to Parshat Korach, the staff of Aharon, which, by the way, is the same as the staff of Moshe. So it's a sapphire staff, a branch from the tree of life. I go back to Parashat Beha Alotka. When you ascend to light the menorah. Ooh. It was a great honor bestowed upon Aharon to light the menorah. That Hashem gave him. But then I go back to Parashah Kedoshim, the Yom Kippur chapter. Oh, Akarimot. Akarimot. Yeah, Akarimot. Okay, yeah. Um, the Yom Kippur service, the imagery I bring about about that, and that's from the Psalms. Yeah. Where the, the Ohel Moed is filled with the black smoke of the Kedaret. And the only thing visible is the light from the menorah, the almonds. They're shaped like eyes. Ayin. Would you connect that to what you just said earlier, that the Ketorit covers our sins? Yeah. So when our sins covered, we can see. And I just remembered, I just made the connection, you know, that what Yosef was talking about regarding that. It, it hides our sin from him. He can't see the sin. That's how it brings atonement. Because our sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Yes. The sea of forgetfulness is the ketorit. This is why Aharon understood this, the mystical aspect of the, the ketoret. This is why he ran to the Mizbeach ketoret, grabbed the shovelful, and brought it out. Okay. Why? So because Hashem dwells in unapproachable darkness as well as unapproachable light. Yeah. <laughs> See this. <laughs> zim zoom ain't so. There's yeah. that. You know, then you have the cause, the line. Yeah. From Ain Sof into um, the various circles of Zim Soon, 
because the light is being transmuted down into a form that we can see. Yeah. A point of reference of comprehension, in other words, because within it, within Zimsum is the physical, is the space that is with Hashem. This is why we can't perceive him with the natural eye. It's got to be with mm. the third eye. Mm. The third eye of uh, Hokma, Bina, Da'at. Because we can't see Keter unless we do it in that manner. Wow. While the, the meditation on the uh, 72 letter name of Hashem. Mm-hmm. Which is actually the first of the three triads of the Sephiro, uh, Keter Hokma Bina. Because if you take the four letter name, the Yod is 10, the Yod and the He, 15, the Yod, the He, and the Vav, 21, and then the Yod, the He, the Vav and He, 26, you have 72. So you spell it out using yodes. Yeah. Which, by the way, there's a Benish Kai that says you can do a substitution for immersing yourself in a mikvah if you're not able to, where you can go letter, letter. You know, you alternate for the first 20 and then the last 20 um, because you'll be basically doing the the spelling out of the name you'll alternate hands completely spelling it out once and then for the last one you'll spell out the name only on your right then you'll spell out the name only on your left that will total 40 sprinklings of water from the hand washing cup which using the netilat yadayim with the 72 letter name of hashem will equal the substitution for a mikvah if you're not able to do it. And that's Ben Ishkai that brings that down. That's a pretty crazy thing, but I actually do that oh, every day nice. uh, for my morning immersion. And it's, it's very, very amazing. It's a beautiful meditation and everything because, you know, we, we're, we're called to immerse ourselves in Hashem. You know, Hashem is the mikvah of Israel. So that actually but, yeah. uh, reminds me of uh, on Shabbat in my Sidur. Um, just got a, a beautiful Sidur. Um, yeah. The preparatory prayer. Um, I'll just read the second paragraph. May it also be your will, Hashem, our God and the God of our forefathers, that in the merit of the mitzvah of the blessing that we will recite over washing the hands before the meal, it be an opportune time before you, and may it flow down upon us from the infinite light, a bountiful flow of mohim and great light for the 12 parsufim, that are hinted at in the 10 all-inclusive sephiro, which in turn are hinted at by the 10 fingers on the hands, may we receive from there the flow of the 10 blessings as it is written 
and may God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and abundant grain and wine. Peoples will serve you. Regimes will prostrate themselves to you. Be a lord to your kinsmen and your mother's sons will prostrate themselves to you. Cursed be they who curse you and blessed be they who bless you. And this is what Yitzhak blessed Yaakov with. And that last uh, part is Bereshit 27, 28, and 29. And the other two quotations, uh, Bereshit 48, 20, and Bamid Bar 6, 24 through 27, which we know is Brokat Kohanim. The priestly blessing. So this is the this time. Siddur the- is, I'm sorry. This Siddur is filled with the Benish High. And that's the Sephardi? Yep. There it is, everyone. That's the Siddur. And my favorite aspect of this is. Ooh. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah, then uh, actually to share a little bit about that on page 80, which happens Yeah, one who recites daily Psalm 67 is considered as if he lit the pure menorah that was in the temple, and as if he is greeting the face of the divine presence. Abu Darham, end of Sakari 4.124. Wow. Seven branches, the outer branches, 49 words, the center branch, 49 letters. So it's There's like, the and I love what it says. Da'a lifnei mi ata omed lifnei melech malakei ha malakim hakadosh baruchu. Know before whom you stand, the king who reigns over kings, the holy one, blessed be he. Amen. So our dates are June the 27th through July the 18th. So beginning on July 19th, resume swimming, resume music playing. (laughs) Uh, You can start eating meat again because the last nine days apart from Shabbat uh, of this three-week period is when you refrain from uh, drinking wine and eating meat uh, when it's not Shabbat. So everything during this whole time, when, when Shabbat happens, you suspend those morning customs. So, and then there's all sorts of other things, but those are some of our main things to kind of key in during these three weeks. And may we all focus on uh, bringing Mashiach and, and causing him to appear. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Yeah, the Mishnah recounts five events took place on 17 Tammuz. Sin of the golden calf and the breaking of the first tablets. The Tamid or the daily offerings in the first temple were suspended during the siege of Jerusalem because of the lack of animals. Jerusalem's walls were breached prior to the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. Prior to the Great Revolt, the Roman general Apostomos burned a Torah scroll. An idolatrous image was placed in the sanctuary of the Holy Temple. The Mishnah also records that five events took place on the day at the end of this period, 9th of Av, the bad report of the spies sent to spy out the land and the subsequent punishment of wandering for 40 years was decreed. The first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BCE. 100,000 Jews were killed and most of the rest exiled to Babylon. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. Over 2 million Jews were killed and 1 million exiled. And I would add to that from the book, Jerusalem's Traitor, Josephus' account of the siege of Jerusalem, that Titus initially did not want to destroy the temple. Because we have to remember that Rome was enamored with the things of space, the grandeur of the things of space. To him, it was a wonder of the ancient world. That's what the Beit HaMikdash was in those days. But the Sakari said, no, we will fight to the last man. And Titus obliged. Wow. So he went in. The second revolt was ended when the Roman Emperor Hadrian captured the city of Betar, the last stand for the Jews with over 100,000 killed in 135 CE. It's also noted that they plowed Jerusalem over, the Temple Mount over, and salted it. Salted it, huh? Yeah. So you're the salt of the earth in the midst of the destruction of the temple. And if the salt has lost its flavor, what is it good for? Thrown out and trampled. Yeshua says all these stones will be turned over and nothing will be left. And wife, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah, Yosef pointed out that was atonement for... Um, I think Lot for being in Sodom, I think, if I remember right. Yep. And she also didn't want to give salt to her guests. Oh, yeah. Her, yeah. Lack, of hospitality. her lack of hospitality. Yeah. Um, but all that's in uh, Mishnah Ta'anit 26b. And look at history will also show a remarkable number of calamities befell Israel on these two dates. 17 Tammuz. In 1239, Pope Gregory IX orders destruction of all manuscripts of the Talmud. 
1391, over 4,000 Jews killed in Spain. In 1559, the Jewish quarter of Prague is burned. In 1944, the entire population of the Jewish ghetto and Kovno were sent to the death camps. I would also add to that that Theresienstadt was a well-known stopping off point for Auschwitz. Um, Herman Wolk in his book, War and Remembrance, brings this out. Um, there was one time where the uh, Red Cross were sending inspectors to Theresienstadt and the Nazis made every effort to make Theresian stuff look like a paradise so that they wouldn't come away with a favorable report. But again, this is all deception on the part of the Nazis, all part of the, the final solution. In most, in most regards, Theresian stuff was a pretty much a ghetto. Just beautified temporarily. But this is kind of deception that is, that is often used to lull people into a false sense of security. And these are the things that we need to watch out for, to prepare ourselves spiritually for. But there are those who will lull us into a false sense of security. Oh, we're not going to persecute you. Everything's going to be fine, you know. And all the while, they're probably building death camps, you know. Yeah. For those of us who love Torah and walk in Hashem's way, and those who are in opposition to His will, when, you know, you know, we will not be looked favorably upon. But by no means am I putting this out as a discouragement, but as a simple dose of reality, because you know the events that we're seeing in the world today, you know, are leading up to it, you know. Because one thing I do see Yosef doing is he's posting on Facebook what's going on in Canada, you know, and I see where he's coming from. Wow. Um, one guy tried to give outdoor haircuts in Canada, and this guy and the police tried to, you know, they tried to find him, 800 Canadian. You know? So, you know, this... You know, I would agree to the point where, you know, this virus is just being used as a means of control in some respects. Um, even though here in the U.S., you know, the, some the restrictions are being lifted. But I think, you know, we should still be careful because there are those who still would take advantage of it, you know, in particular politicians, you know, who don't fear Hashem. I've even heard one senators say a few weeks back that we don't care about god there it is there's the mockery there's a yeah. milik you know he, yeah. he was even so arrogantly say it has no place in this chamber yep I so you're gonna reap what you sow you're reaping you're sowing to the flesh, and of it, you'll reap corruption. No one will trust you. 
you know, it's like the, and I wrote a zero about the, desisting from words of Torah to idle chatter. Beautiful but, to bring it all the way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because such men have, they loathe to obey Hashem. And, you know, unfortunately that would include theologians and those who listen to them. Yeah. Um, So we have the historical events connected with the ninth of Av. In 1095, the first crusade begins by decree of Pope Urban II. In the first month, over 10,000 Jews were killed. In 1290, expulsion was ordered for all Jews in England. And in 1492, the Spanish Inquisition begins with the decree by King Ferdinand, that after midnight, not a single Jew was to remain on Spanish soil. Christopher Columbus boarded his ships that night to set sail in the morning. He and some of his sailors were Jewish. In 1914, the First World War begins on this date. Wow. You can see the cycle that began on the calamitous day with the golden calf, 17 Tammuz, and then a year later is marked with the Israelites accepting the bad report of the spies, 9th of Av. These indeed are sad days in the history of all mankind, but what is often missed is the hope buried within the very words of scripture. These are to be days of joy in the future, as Jeremiah predicted, but even within the sadness of these days now, there is hope. You see, the first thing ever mentioned about this time between the troubles is found in Genesis 8-9. Beloved, in the midst of calamity, there is always hope. If you do the math, you will discover that 17 to moves was the day that Noah sent out the dove from the ark following the punishment of the flood. And was, what does the Midrash say about the Yonah? Where did it come to rest? On the head of the Mashiach. In Eretz Israel. Yeah. That's, that's the hope. That's the Tikkun. Making it through the three weeks, hoping for Mashiach. May he come. May we show him. May he yeah. be revealed. Also, if you remember, remember, following the sin of the golden calf, God revealed his attributes to Moshe, the 13 attributes. Oh, yeah. To Moshe on Sinai. We see his awesome mercy as he tells Moshe, Hashem, Hashem God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third 
and to the fourth generation. That's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. We see a similar numbers after Israel has wickedly accepted the bad report of the, from the ten spies. In this case, Moshe pleads for Israel, remembering the merciful character of God. And now I beseech you, let the power of my Hashem be great, according as you have spoken, saying, Hashem is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of your mercy, and you have for, has forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And Hashem said, I have pardoned according to your word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of Hashem. Numbers 14, 17 through 21. Ironically, the same mercy is seen later in our portion when God gives further instructions about when you have come into the land. 15 verse 2 in Numbers. After decreeing the 40 years of wandering, God immediately tells them that they, their children, will still enter the land. As you pray for the peace of Jerusalem and watch with anxiety the events unfolding in the Middle East, remember that this is Bain Hamitzarim, between the troubles. This is a season of pain and redemption, of consequence and mercy. Amen. Mercy, because we can bring rectification. He shows mercy to those who are striving to obey him. Well, any last thing you want to say before we conclude? Don't embrace the curses, but rather the blessings. Amen. May Hashem help us, and may we all do that. Okay, the prayer after study. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early, and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, and you... O oh God, will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech 
asher natan lanu torat emet, vechaye olam nata betochenu, baruch ata aronai, noten ha Torah. Amen.